0: talk this morning is on fear. I wonder if I'll say the right thing. <laughs> 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 of course we're always scared. And it's good to talk about that. It's good to look at just how scared we are as we go through the day as we wake up in the morning. We're scared as kids, and we die scared. It's not necessary to do that, but that's generally the way it works out. We're scared of having deformed babies. We're scared of growing old. And then we grow old and we're scared of falling, and scared of arthritis, and scared of a undignified death, and Scared of losing everything, scared of losing our spouse and our children. Maybe our children will turn against us. And then the fear covers not only these great big categories, so this is sort of this general ground of fear. I'm growing older, I'm losing it. You see. But there's also the the little nagging fears. Um uh, just over everything um uh, like uh well have you ever seen anyone that 's just transfixed over the uh zucchini you know or, or the avocado avocados those that 's very fearful because oftentimes uh the supermarket says uh eighty nine cents each now this is terrifying. <laughs> Each. That means that you can have the biggest ones for 89 cents. And you will see someone there going through the the avocado trying to find them. (coughs) But of course, the biggest ones aren't ripe. (laughs) It's the little ones that are ripe. So that has to be considered, you see. Um, And now they've come out with a new seedless grape. Have you you found (laughs) that yet? The little green grape? Now this new seedless grape is very juicy, but it doesn't last as long. The old grape lasts longer. The new one is better, but you've got to eat it within two days of the time you buy it or else it just goes like that, you see. So what do you do? There you are, the two kind of grapes. Uh, Should you calculate how many grapes you'll eat each day? (laughs) Buy some long-term grapes and some short-term grapes, you see. Uh, And even if you grow your own food, there's the uh, Burpees catalog. Have you ever gone through the Burpees catalog? Have you ever seen how many kinds of squash there are? Do you buy the straight-neck squash or the uh, crook-neck squash? Do you uh, buy the uh, cow peas or the chickpeas? Well, what do you... I mean, this is... And if you have 12 kinds of corn, what do you do? So this enters into everything. Recently, Gail and I uh, have been trying to find someone who would be our eternal slave. <laughs> <laughs> they would just devote the rest of their life to us and just <laughs> do everything that we wouldn't want to do in life, but they would love doing it. <laughs> so we put little ads in the paper and we hired an employment agency and so forth. Then, of course, you start getting advice from friends. The first couple to advise us said, no, not Americans. Get an au pair girl because, um, uh, They had been in France and they had read an English newspaper in France that told that you could get an au pair girl for, I forget what it was, a dollar a day or something. And that uh, since they were contingent upon your good wishes, uh, they would just break their back night and day doing whatever that you wanted them to do, you see. Another couple said, no, Guatemalans. (laughs) <laughs> Guatemalans are the hardest working of all. You see. Now, the first couple said there is one problem with old pair girls. They stink. The French don't wash. I don't know if this is true. I'm, t- I'm reporting. You see what's it? <laughs> Obviously, this is not true. We know that this is a very clean nation, France. But nonetheless, this little idea was implanted in. So should you get the au pair girl for less money, put up with the smell, or should you get the Guatemalan who uh, costs more, but the Guatemalan needs a friend? And that's why she was so happy that we were looking for someone because she wanted a Guatemalan too, you see. And she said, what we should do is we should each get Guatemalans and they'll be friends, you see but of course Guatemalans don't know English so how are you going to give them instruct well this goes on and on and on as you know as a matter of fact if once we begin noticing how the ego can and does try to ruin every single thing that we do by making us afraid of some aspect of it then it can become quite funny when you find yourself uh, fixated in the produce section or something, or uh, there are 16 kinds of Wheaties and you've just read, you know, 13 labels and you're not, you know, you still haven't decided on which. It it gets to be funny. If we will look at it. And it's quite interesting what happens because uh, the ego is like uh, what my little boy, uh, John, uh, did the other night he as, as most of you know John has turned three recently, and he had gotten out of bed several times. We had told him to go back to bed he had to get up early the next day he was playing with some friends if he didn't we knew that if he didn't get a certain amount of sleep, he would not be happy because we'd s- seen this before, and this was getting well into his necessary sleep time uh, but for some reason he just couldn't go to sleep and kept thinking of one excuse after the other. So I was in this little room where I do my writing and I looked up and there was this, <laughs> this little thing about this bit holding a towel like this. And he and it was walking across the room. <laughs> very very slowly the towel, all I can see is just his hands. To the kitchen, he's going to the kitchen, you see <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course you can't say anything. I had to wait. And so what what he did is he got just right about here and he suddenly thought of a question. You see, where were the animal cracker cookies? Do you see? <laughs> and so he thought if he lowered it real fast, asked the question and put it back up, I wouldn't notice it. Do you see? <laughs> And that's when I got him, he said, please, but I said, you aren't (laughs) bad. Well, that's what the ego, the ego is just that silly if we're not afraid to turn and look at what it is we're, we think we're afraid of. It's only because we don't quite look at it that we don't know what this thing is over there. But you look right at it and the fear is usually so silly that just one glance at it uh, will cause it to melt. And why is this important? Because fear is the engine of the ego. No fear, no ego. That's why "Be not afraid." I'm sure is probably in the New Testament more than any other single phrase, except maybe "Verily, verily." I'm not sure. Now <laughs> kind <of> that. <clears throat> So there is an important reason to gently let go of our fears, to laugh at them, to step back from them if we've gotten caught up in them, and to see if we can't walk now a little more easily, now that we've noticed the fear and we see how silly it is. But of course, the past is more important to the ego than the present. Therefore, the ego will argue that because we just made this mistake of getting caught up in the fear, that is a sufficient reason for us to doubt our sincerity this instant. So it says, your past mistake is a greater evidence of what you are than your present willingness to start over. It always does that. But we do not have to worry about the fact we just made a mistake. It is possible to simply let that go and begin again because this instant is in fact far more important than the previous one. And God is not interested in our mistakes. Why then are we so interested in them? Why do we have to ask, ah, oh, what happened? And Why do I keep doing this? And Will I ever get past this? That, of course, is just to continue the fear. Fear is what breaks up marriages. Fear is actually what makes people get sick. Fear is what destroys our, our friendships. Fear is what makes armed camps out of our cars and our, and our homes. Fear is what sells newspapers, boosts ratings on uh, the evening news. Fear is what draws the largest audiences to to movies. Fear is what makes the world go round, not love. The perceptual world, the world of the ego. And the ego will use the very prevalence of fear as its primary argument as to why we must continue being afraid first of all the, the ego will say that, that fear is far more practical than God far more practical and there might be some logic to this if there were ever a time when we were not afraid but since, there's, since the world is a very dangerous place even if you move into a safe apartment or a safe neighborhood. The ego makes sure that there are enough murders and enough rapes right there <laughs> that you won't be completely, you won't feel completely safe, do you see? Or the, uh, the doorman uh, uh, lets in people that he shouldn't let in, whatever the thing may be. There's always something, if you look, there's this little kernel of terror Everywhere. But the ego says it's practical to be afraid. If you weren't afraid, you'd be doing things uh, like I've reported uh, children doing, like kissing spiders and tickling tongues with snakes and things like that. And of course, a spiritual path does not call for our testing spiritual truth. And this is, of course, a mistake that many people who begin a spiritual path make. They think that there is some test to pass and they that they must, Well, the ego reasons like this, it says, uh, I'm afraid of such and such. I'm afraid of the dark. I shouldn't be afraid. Therefore, I will do it anyway. I'm scared to do it, but I shouldn't be afraid of it. Therefore, I will do it. This is the way the, the ego argues the case. So the ego is constantly trying to get us to test. Now, all this does is make a power out of fear because many of those tests were going to fail in the terms that the test has been set up, which is you should be able to do this in perfect peace. But, of course, we can't do it in perfect peace. We're not at the place where we can do that particular thing in perfect peace. And so the ego has merely set up a test designed to prove that truth is impractical and that we haven't learned enough. So it is possible to walk away from any test that the ego suggests that you take because we do not enter the kingdom of heaven. We do not enter the peace of God. We do not become happy by passing some test and making some sacrifice. Now an even more subtle argument as to why we we should be afraid comes from Edgar, Edgar the higher ego. Edgar who shows up as soon as we start studying truth. Edgar will argue that fear is somehow natural that, this, uh, that people wouldn't be afraid if it didn't serve a function. It, there, it must serve a good function, argues, argues Edgar, because everybody's afraid. But is the universe a cannibal? This is what that argument is in fact saying, that it is natural that anything in this world can hurt us. That people can suddenly go crazy and kill us. That someone can be absent-minded and uh, turn into our car and kill our child. That someone can leave the the mayonnaise out too long. And we happened to get the salad that had the little mayonnaise in the dressing and now we've got food poisoning, you see. Is it natural that the universe would be set up that it destroys itself? Is it natural that reality feed upon itself? Of course it's not natural. Fear is merely an absence. It's not a substance. It's not a presence. It's not a power. It is a belief in the absence of love. It is the thought that we are alone the deep conviction that we are alone, that there isn't really anyone that we can turn to for help, but Christ, or the Holy Spirit, or your guardian angel, or your guide, or your teacher, whatever words you have for that loving presence that watches over you, does in fact hold your hand, does in fact touch your shoulder, does, in fact, whisper gently into your mind. Does, in fact, plead for your happiness. And All that's required is that we say to ourselves, I don't know what to do. I no longer know what to do. Please help me. Anyone who has gotten to the point where they can say, I honestly don't know what to do. Please help me receives help instantly. That's one of the reasons that that AA and all of its branches is so successful is that it presents that one simple fact that an unequivocal call for help is always answered. An ambivalent one is not because it would entail some sense of sacrifice. But a simple request for help is always answered, not necessarily in the terms that we've set the thing up. Now, if we, if we say to our inner strength, our inner peace, that we wish a particular outcome, that we wish our enemies dead, or at least make them very sick, please, you know, <laughs> this isn't necessarily going to happen. So the source of all fear is simply the belief that we're nothing but this little teeny body and when we try to solve our fears from the standpoint of the body it doesn't it just increases fear so there are two ways to try to attack the problem of fear one is from the level of the body so we look at the body and we say my body is vulnerable Uh, my neighbors have all been robbed I haven't been robbed yet therefore and so we start putting one thing after another into our house to to protect ourselves against a robbery this actually increases fear Uh, so and so (coughs) drinks a little bit too much and by 11 o'clock they become a bore so we cannot go over to so-and-so's house unless we have an excuse to get out of there by 11 o'clock, you see. Now, all this does is it just puts us in a sense of anxiety because we have to keep looking at our watch and monitoring so-and-so and make sure that, <laughs> that he's not ahead of schedule tonight, you know. stuff like that. <laughs> That's trying to solve fear from the level of the body. Anytime we do that, we actually end up increasing fear. So ideally... We don't try to protect ourselves any more or any less. We don't try to protect the body any more or any less. If there is something clear-cut that you can do that will ease your mind about something, of course you do it. And if a burglar alarm fits that category, that's fine. But to go on a search, to try to bring in external agents... To protect you against a countless number of fears, it will merely increase it. And most of us have experienced that in the area of health, trying to be trying to develop some sort of super health and trying to read every article that we can so that we're eating just the right foods. We're exercising just the right we get our heart beat up to just the right amount when we walk or we jog and so forth. All of us know who have tried that, that there is no end to it, that no one can agree on what should be done, and uh, every time that we think we've got the whole thing settled, there's a new article that comes out and says, yes, but uh, what about the trace element in grapefruit? And here we've been drinking, you know, (laughs) we've been drinking grapefruit, you know. Or or the insecticides, they get into the little teeny cracks uh, in the grapes, you see. And so now we're looking at each grape, (laughs) Now, the reason that that doesn't work is that we're trying to eliminate fear from the level of the body. We're trying to strive from that platform. That will not work. But if we strive from the level of the mind, then fear is quite easy to dissolve. So that's the basic principle. Strive from the level of the mind. Now, by strive... In a spiritual sense, that simply means you make a gentle, happy, enjoyable effort when you want to make it. No no sacrifice in that kind of striving. But there is a deliberate something that goes on. Because if we are not willing to try something, we do not want to move on. If I am not willing to try something, I do not want to move on. Would you say that with me? If I am not willing to try something, I do not want to move on. So we simply look at the problem, whatever it is, whatever it is that's scaring us, that maybe our spouse is having an affair, that maybe our teenage child is uh, shooting up or is running with the wrong people. Maybe our little girl has gotten pregnant. Maybe the uh, scorpions and the centipedes are not coming in under the front door. Maybe they're breeding in the house. (laughs) They've actually set up home there, you see. (laughs) The ego does not want the problem solved. The ego does not want you to move past the fear. If you are not willing to try something, you do not want to move past the fear. This is not a reason to condemn yourself, but it is good to notice that if you are not doing anything about it, you obviously have not gotten to the point where you want to move beyond this. So what do you do about it? Anything. Do anything about it, but just do something. Do it peacefully. Try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. the The centipedes uh, were an actual problem in in our house. Uh, I had one crawl up my leg once when I was talking on the phone, and I think I've told <laughs> you about the time that one was in the bed with Gail and me for about two hours, and so forth. Now we were never stung by them, but we we had developed quite a fear of them, especially because uh, John is now taken to sleeping in sleeping bags beside our, he sleeps in a little sleeping bag beside our bed, you see. Because he's a big boy now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's got his own little sleeping bag. But he gets very close to our bed, I've noticed, you see. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, I start having visions of these uh, uh, little tree scorpions and and the big centipedes and so forth crawling into the sleeping bag with him. Now, it doesn't matter whether or not they would have. It does matter, though, that this was frightening me and that I could not turn to God in peace with this happening. So we began to try things. We first of all put some felt under the door. Uh, then we, we, we put in new little uh, uh, stops so the door would close against that and we sealed this, and we did that, and so forth. And the, the number of insects that are getting into our house has dramatically increased. No, excuse me. <laughs> uh, it's dramatically decreased. Uh, all we have now are just the, the, the uh, little... Uh, those little black ants that, that eat wood, you see. <laughs> of course, our house is about 90% wood. See, somehow. But somehow this is better than thinking of uh, John getting stung by one of these little insects, you see. Every problem that arises in a marriage can be so easily walked beyond if the two people will just sit down and say, We want to go beyond this problem. My ego position is this, your ego position is that. And it's very good to be honest and open about that, as we've talked about so many times, to state what the ego position is. Now, of course, Edgar will come in and say, in all honesty, you should tell your spouse what an S.O.B. he is. In all honesty, you should list all of his faults, or her faults. You should do this, do you see? That, of course, has nothing to do with honesty. Complete honesty is complete love. It's totally gentle because it's totally open. Honesty means openness, not hiding anything. And anyone who's completely open is also thoroughly gentle because they are not hiding anything. But if two people would just sit down and say, yes, we've gotten caught up in this, you think this is right, and I think that's right. But these are just ego positions. None of this has anything to do with the truth of God. None of this has anything to do with our walk home. Is there a way we can move past this? Let's try so-and-so. And And you simply try it. And if if it works, fine. If it doesn't, you try something else. Now, this is quite different than madly running after just an infinite number of solutions. This is you try something that comes to you in peace to try. Any illness can be passed by if we are simply willing to try something. We try one thing, it doesn't work, but we say, this is disturbing my peace of mind. I've gotten very preoccupied with this. I cannot turn to God easily now. What can I do to go beyond this? if the illness or if the little thing that's come up in the marriage is not disturbing our peace of mind, then there, there isn't anything we have to do about it. So it's not that we try to have a perfect marriage or a perfect household or a perfect child or a perfect running car or an absolutely weedless uh, uh, lawn. But we simply notice it's like one of those infrared... Uh, photographs have you ever seen those on television where they uh here's the house and they've taken this infrared movie shot of the house so the real red places are where the heat's you know and here are these great big plate glass windows and the little animals are out there warming their hands you know (laughs) so much heat's coming through it's, it's, it's like that. We just simply look at our life. We don't ask ourselves, what should I be afraid of? We don't ask what logic is there to my fears because there's no logic to it. If we look closely, there is no logic to any fear. Although some seem to us to be quite silly and immature and some seem to be very mature and very important and quite justified. None of that's true, of course. Because God exists, because God is by our side, For that very reason, there is no logic or reasonableness to fear. So we look where the red is coming, where the fear is shining from our life. What relationship, what thing in the house, what food we're eating, what particular uh, way that we dress causes us to be anxious or preoccupied or whatever it may be. We just look at that. and We ask ourselves, is there a way that I can move beyond that. So looking at the fear is probably the simplest and easiest way to go beyond it. But there are a couple of other things that might be of help. One of them is to notice when the fear is taking place, And instantly leave the situation. Now in this church. What we have done. If you go back and listen to the early tapes. Started back in Thanksgiving is. We have talked about an orderly. Sort of progression. In our spiritual journey. So. Our talks here together have simply been we try this now, we're going to take this step now. And we talk about that for two or three Sundays. And then we say, okay, now we're going to try this, and here's the next step, and we go along, you see. The thing that we have been talking about recently is that the, before you can proceed in peace, you must make peace your single goal. And the way to do that has to involve the willingness to say no to some of the things that the ego is handing you. So doing something, of course, is involved in that. We have to make simple peace more important than uh, diabetes, for example. Let's, let's, let's say, for example, let's say that sugar is, is disturbing you. You're, you're fearful every time you eat sugar. It'd be very difficult for, for people not to be afraid of sugar after all the articles and the books and the, everything else that's been done on sugar. So if you find this is disturbing you, it doesn't matter whether or not sugar is harmful. It does matter whether or not for some reason you find yourself scared when you eat sugar in a certain form or a certain amount. Now, do you wish to move beyond that or don't you? To say, well, I shouldn't be disturbed by this. I ought to be able to eat anything is totally irrelevant. At a certain stage of learning, we are not able to eat anything without being afraid. Of course, we will get to the point where we will be able to eat anything. Of course, we will be able to get get to the point where we'll be able to leave our doors unlocked and there will be no possibility of anyone coming in the house and robbing us. But there are not very many people on the planet that have reached that point. And it's quite clear whether or not we have. Because if there's any anxiety whatsoever as you leave your front door unlocked, then you haven't moved beyond that. So what do you wish to do about that? Do you wish to carry this fear? Or do you wish to move beyond it? So do whatever you need to do to make the little red light dampen down. We must take the single goal of the peace of God and we must do whatever we need to do in our life to establish it. Now, most of us haven't quite done that yet because we go out during the day and our feelings get hurt so easily. We can get angry so easily, upset, worried, preoccupied. We have not gotten to the point where we can say my desire for God is more important than this because the this has obviously become more important than our desire for God because we are now fighting this battle. Now if that's continuing to happen and I suspect that it is with every one of us then that simply means that we haven't yet completed that first goal. So that when we wake up in the morning, we turn first to the peace of God and we, and we wrap it around us like a shining shield. And, and, and this, this cloud of splendor just goes with us. Not that people notice this, but that we're happy in people's presence. That anything that happens to us doesn't immediately upset us. Not that we look peaceful or, you know, we, we uh, drag our nouns out when we talk or something. You know, it's not, no one's going to notice this, but, but just that we, that it's so important to us that if anything comes up, we step back from it. Now, if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, if you eat any more sugar, you're going to die because you have diabetes. You didn't know you had diabetes, but the tests show you have it. You've got a bad case of it. You eat any more, you eat another candy bar and so on and so on, you're going to die. Would you have any problem cutting it out? None whatsoever. Not only would you cut it out, but you wouldn't, it wouldn't even be a battle. You wouldn't even think very much about it. It's just something you have to do. Same thing's true of people who have heart attacks or people who have ulcers or something. It's amazing how effortlessly they can cut something out like that or a particular kind of exercise, or whatever it may be. Doctor says, you're going to drop dead if you do that. So you just don't do it. It just falls away so easily. Why? Because you don't want to drop dead. Now, it's... (laughs) 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 The peace of God is more important than dropping dead. So if we will not simply walk away from whatever the food is, I'm not... uh, as As you know, those of you who've who've been here, know that I'm certainly not talking about the fact that sugar is good or bad. It doesn't make any difference what it is. I'm just singling that out as something that at the present time is very fearful to a lot of people. It doesn't make any difference. But it does make a difference if you're scared of it. So, we immediately walk away from the situation if we find we're scared. Very simple rule. Are you scared in the situation? Then get out of it instantly. You don't have to go a long way away. Go however long way you need to go. Why? Because the peace of God is more important than the social embarrassment or the whatever else your ego is telling it you. You've got to stay there. got to complete the job or whatever the thing. You do not have to complete the job. Now, the peace of God can only be learned now and so you simply step away from the situation you rest gently and then you go back into it if you can go back into it in peace now a third suggestion that i have is that you might want to sometimes try up a, a, a little mantra or prayer really doesn't matter what the mantra of prayer is. But let's say that you here you are, you're lying in bed and you're terrified. Now remember, it doesn't matter what you are terrified about. Only the ego will send you on that quest. Why am I afraid? What are the reasons I'm afraid? Only the ego sends you on that. Why? Because the ego thinks there is some logic to it. There is some justification to it, that it has some cause. It has no cause. It has no logic. It is not reasonable. And if you think you figured out why you're afraid, all you've done is deceive yourself. Because there's only one reason that we're ever afraid. And that is we think that God is not with us. That we are alone in this universe. That's the only reason that we get afraid. So it has no other cause but that. I'm this little body. I don't have much longer to live. It's getting harder and harder. That's the reason we're afraid. And so perhaps you might like to say a a little prayer to yourself. It's helpful to make the prayer simple. It's helpful to make the prayer come from the center of your heart. It's helpful to put the prayer in your own words because the words don't matter. And what you are striving for is sincerity. That's why we've said prayers like the peace of God is important. That's why we've prayed that here. My desire for God is very great. We've prayed that here. Whatever I worry about is not worth worrying about. Say it simply. Possibly you'd like to say, I rest in God, I rest in peace. Just say that to yourself. There you are, you're in bed, you're very scared. You don't, it doesn't matter what you're scared about. Don't try to figure out what you're scared about. Just see you're scared. If you're scared, it means you, you don't have the peace of God. Peace of God is important. So you just start start gently calming your mind with a very gentle statement. I and my Father are one. Happiness has made me happy. Love has made me love. Peace has made me peace. God is with me right now. God is with me right now. God is with me right now. Just say it over and over to yourself so that the ego stops its babbling, whatever the thoughts are that are racing around in your head. Of course, do not get caught up in trying to eliminate a sensation. The ego will say, your fear is a sensation. It's a tightness in your stomach. It's a closeness in your throat. It's a a rapidity of a heartbeat. It's a pounding in your temples. It's a sickness in your gut. It isn't. That's, that's not fear. That's just a little bodily display. That, that's the little readout on the body. like a computer, like a thing you know we're doing. There's a little readout. That's all it is. And if we get, up, get caught up in trying to, to eliminate the sensation, we'll make no problem. because once again, We're striving from the level of the body. Strive always from the level of the mind. Never from the level of the body. So you let your body be stirred up. You let your your breath uh, be rapid. You let uh, this weakness in your legs continue. Let it continue. Don't mess with that. Just start saying your mantra. Or leave the situation. Or look at the fear. Or do something else simple and direct. In the time that we have left, I'd like to just discuss a few ways that uh, Edgar translates truth (coughs) into fear. Because most of you are on a spiritual path. And so, most of you are now... Hearing Edgar speak to you and say things to you like, if you're really spiritual, you're open. You shouldn't have a door on your bathroom. (laughs) Why do you... Are are you afraid of your bodily functions? There shouldn't be a door on your bathroom. Some of you probably know Don Johnson. Uh, He was here for a number of years. He's a rolfer good friend of mine. I met him, uh, he was hitchhiking on the highways, car had broken down and I picked him up and this was 12 years ago. Became very close friends. But it so happens that we were both heading out to one of the free schools that were operating at that time. We were going out there and we were going to volunteer our services to teachers. We spent the day and we came back. He didn't have a place to stay at that time and so uh, and so uh I brought him back to our our house in Milwaukee. And on the way back, we we talked about what had happened. What had happened was that we both had to go to the bathroom right then uh, because none of us were going to sit on the toilet with all these children coming in, in and out the bathroom all day long. You see, We just weren't going to do that. It didn't matter whether or not we should have been able to do it. The fact is that we just compared notes and found out we weren't able to do that. So Edgar takes the concept of openness and says, "Oh, um, well, why do you have uh, doors on your dish, uh, your cabinet? You see, oh, uh, why do you uh, why are you monogamous? Have an open marriage. <laughs> openness. Uh, there was a a Gail and I lived uh, in uh, Berkeley during the we were." We were genuine hippies. You know, right during the whole... I don't know what people are now, but boy, we were, the, we were the true blue hippies back in those days. And everybody was being open. And I remember we went to a restaurant with a friend of ours who lived in this little quadruplex where we lived. And at one point, uh, I had to go to the restroom and our friend had to go to the restroom. So we went there. and uh, Her restroom was occupied. Um, and there was a quite a long line of women waiting outside of it. My restroom was not occupied, and uh, except that there were two men in there. Um, I don't know how to say these things in church, you know. <laughs> so they were they were just uh, right. They were they were sitting down and. <laughs> doing their doing their little number do you see and um, so I went in there came out and she said uh, well who's in there and I said no, no. and they said well what are they doing is anybody uh, is anybody on the sink I said no <laughs> she, said, she said they're just they're just sitting on the toilet so, okay opened the door went in there and she sat on the sink and these two men got out of there so fast <laughs> I doubt seriously if she sat in the sink peacefully (laughs) because she certainly was not causing the people in the restroom to be peaceful, nor did I acknowledge her as my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Openness. Abundance. Abundance is a term that's used in almost all the teachings, the truth teachings. Edgar translates abundance. See, Edgar always takes spiritual truth and says that it has some meaning in the world. Spiritual truth has no meaning in the world. Spiritual truth implies no behavior whatsoever. This is what causes all the misery on a spiritual path is to think that truth implies some behavior. Abundance. Now, I realize that every time I talk about food uh, that uh, you probably wonder how I have the gall to talk about eating simply and so forth. Uh, it's not that I didn't eat simply before. I, I ate simply everything, you see. <laughs> but I am eating more simply now. But this is sort of like uh, standing on a continent as it slips into the ocean, you know, and and saying, whoa, boy, whoa, boy. (laughs) I can't tell you what eating simply will, will do to my appearance, but I can tell you that I'm much more peaceful now that my life is becoming simpler and simpler and simpler. And abundance, the ego will translate into, well, you should just eat everything you could eat and you should just try everything and so there's this sort of, it's the same thing like we do when we start running after some cure instead of just pausing in peace and seeing what we want to try. We're just trying this and we're trying that and it's just scattered all over the place. And the same thing's true about eating. And that is, as we said last Sunday, that if, if we eat simply of a few foods, often this will keep Edgar from getting all stirred up now, of course, there is nothing for you to do about that if, you, if this doesn't appeal to you. This is just, I'm just simply pointing out some ways that we can simplify our life. And as we do so, the fear content goes down. So this makes no logic. It's not reasonable. This is not a premise that we reason out. This is just a fact. It's just a fact that until we have learned to see, it is perhaps better to look at fewer things. Well, that doesn't make any sense but it's just the way the world operates so if we have if our house is just filled with everything and we can't throw anything away and and there's just this blur of objects everywhere it is often difficult to be peaceful in that kind of atmosphere until we learn to see it's often easier to look at fewer things until we learn that our nourishment comes From the love of God that pours into our heart, that our thirst is quenched by this river that runs deep within us and through every living thing. This one continuous stream that runs through everybody here and everywhere else, deep and calm and continuous, until we learn that that's how our thirst is quenched, and that our food comes from our communion with God then it is oftentimes more helpful to eat moderately of a few things but if you impose this on your life it will just be one more battle if you've gotten to the point where you would like to try this and, and you find it helpful fine for heaven's sakes don't try because it's been suggested here But just notice if it, and and as we've said so often, there is no ideal form of simplicity. What will be simple for, let's take dress for example. Uh, The word bright, brilliant, and so forth is used so often in the various sacred scriptures of the world. Edgar says, Ah, I know how you should dress. (laughs) Or openness, you see. Openness means, uh, well, at Berkeley it was everybody took their clothes off, you see. Uh, So you just suddenly see nude people walking down the street and so forth. Um, So brilliance doesn't mean that you have to dress in a particular kind of way. You simply notice that if you have dressed in one particular way, and you you go out in public, and you find your attention coming back like this, and you find you're looking at everyone and using their eyes to see you, using their mind to judge you. You're not judging yourself, but you're looking at them to see how they're judging you, so you've now put your mind aside, and you're trying to use their mind to judge you and their eyes to see you, and and you're always looking down at yourself, and, and, and you're pulling up your... whatever it is you're doing, you see... If if you have dressed in such a way that it causes that, then possibly you'd like to dress in a way that will allow you to be more peaceful. Whatever that way is, it will be different from for one person than it is another. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Edgar translates that into endless friendships. Go on and on. A series of marriages. Series of encounters. Unconditional love. It's a very easy mistake to make. Until we have learned what true love is, it is perhaps better to enjoy a few relationships deeply than hundreds of relationships superficially. This implies nothing about whether or not you should go to the bar or anything like that it implies nothing except just what the statement says it is perhaps better to enjoy a few relationships deeply than many relationships superficially now the time comes in which the peace of god has been established as our single goal we have simplified our life we've simplified the way we dress we've simplified the way we eat we've simplified our activities now the world doesn't clamor for attention. Now there's not this, 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 uh, all this noise coming from everywhere in the world. Because we have simplified it and we have realized it's within our ability to simplify our lives. Nothing keeps us from it except ourselves. To live sit- simply. We find that we're so much happier because we're living a little more simply now. In that atmosphere, it is quite easy to begin to establish the peace of God as your single goal. So that this is the reason you are now going to work in the morning. This is the reason you're driving at the speed that you're driving, whatever the speed that may be as you go home. This is the reason you either turn on the TV set or you don't turn on the TV set. This is the reason you either pick up the paper and you read three lines of the story and you say, I don't want to read that anymore. I don't, why do I have to complete the story? It's not making me peaceful. I don't, I don't want to read it. Close the newspaper. Peace of God's more important than finishing the story. Finishing the book. Got to finish the book. Read the first 15 pages and we hate it, but we've got to finish the book. Why? The peace of God covers all this with, with just simple enjoyment. So now you can deeply enjoy your children. You can deeply enjoy... Have any of you seen that, that book called uh, Living Waters? Uh, it was a, a book of photographs. A beautiful book of photographs, and it won some award. It came out about ten years ago called Living Waters. This photographer took a very small little piece of uh, ground... Uh, there was a stream that came through one little corner of it, and there was a little I forget there were some rocks, and there was, I forget how many square feet, but it's a very small section. He photographed it over a period of one year, and you have never seen so much splendor and beauty in your life as he got from just this he intentionally limited his focus to this very small area. God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's why when we simplify and we look where we are, we're so happy. But as long as we're running all over the earth trying to d- buy everything and experience everyone and, oh my God, I'm 40 and I and I haven't, I've never slept with someone like that. And you go home and you, <laughs> you go home to your uh, spouse and you say, King's X? <laughs> but when we just Relax and we, then then we can look and, there's, and we, we hear these wonderful sounds and we see how nice people are and we realize we don't want any other state of mind. We don't want vengeance. We don't want jealousy. We don't want to hurt people because they've hurt us. We don't want to carry on grudges. We don't want to remember what people did to us when we see them. Remember what they did to us. We don't want that coming into our... We want to brush the slate clean.